Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Sure is. Today is day 49 of the legislative session, I believe. It is. And uh, it's Monday, the 4th of, uh, God, are we, we're in March already. Yeah, we're already, March. we're already halfway through the legislative session right now. The 90-day legislative session, not the 121-day in the Constitution. I heard a bad joke about today. Do you know the uh, t- why today is the most commanding day of the year? Oh, why is that? March 4th. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I, well, let's talk about something really cool. fun and funny, which is <laughs> the legislature. No, actually, we do have something fun and cool to talk about, which is on Friday afternoon, you released this cool little video talking about the budget process and, and maybe why people should care about it. Yeah, I made an animated film that took me a long time. It was actually, um, it was a project that I was... <laughs> I think I was supposed to have done like by the time the session started and then that didn't happen. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'll get it done by the time the budget is out. And then that didn't happen. And then I was like, maybe I'll have it done eventually. But I finally finished it. I'm very proud of it. And I put a lot of effort and energy into it. And I'm happy to see that it's getting shared. I want to I want to share it much more broadly. So if anyone listening to this has any way of uh, getting it out into the world, go for it. It, it has been released into the public domain, and um, I definitely encourage people to share it uh, with their friends and family and use it to start conversations about the fiscal situation. Yeah, it's it's really cool um, for a whole lot of different reasons. Like, first of all, like I love the animation. Like, I don't think I've seen you do a project like that's that detailed. Like, that looks like legit animation. I'm not saying that we haven't done before is legit <laughs> animation, but like this is like moving and, 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 and beautiful. It's really cool. Like I, so how did you get um, involved in this? This is, you didn't just do this out of the, the kindness of your own heart, right? I wish, I wish I could, but um, yeah, I need to feed myself. And so um, oh, I didn't know that artists I, had to eat yeah. too. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, it was really funny. Someone asked me about this and was like, this was paid for by someone. I was like, well, I mean, I was paid to do it, but I wanted to do it. So it's not like someone bribed me to you know make this thing. It's nice that I got paid to do something I wanted to do. So that's fortunate. But um, the, uh, the yeah the basically the situation was um, Representative Justin Parrish uh, said, "Hey, I've got some money left in my office expense account, and instead of uh, you know paying for whatever else, you know buying a bunch of staples, he uh, commissioned this video, and so." Uh, he provided me kind of some general ideas and um, provided some staff. And, uh, you know, I worked with Ken Elper quite a bit on getting the data for it. And, uh, you know, really at the end of the day, the script was, um, it was a collaborative effort, but I kind of took the reins on it and put it together and animated all these things and kind of came back around after the fact and just sort of checked in to make sure I wasn't getting my numbers wrong. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was a, it was a good project. There were a lot of people involved in supporting me on it, but it wasn't like anyone was telling me what to say. So, um, yeah, I, I feel good about it. I talk to you all the time and people who listen to this podcast probably listen to you quite a bit, but like, what is it that you really hope people take away from this video? Uh, I think the main takeaway is that if we want state services and we do, 
that we have to pay for them. And uh, Alaska for a long time has got away without paying for things. And um, when I say we have to pay for them, I think that means we need an income tax. And I think that, um, you know, if, if you've studied Alaska history and you know a little bit about our state, um, you know, that was a big, big part of Ernest Greening's effort to put an income tax in place. You know, he saw all his foregone revenue when the highways were being built. Um, and he all, he wanted this income tax. And finally, it came into existence and it helped to provide the foundation for statehood. Like we wouldn't really have had the financial fiscal foundation that we needed to become a state without without an income tax. And that, you know, that means that none of the oil production would have happened in the same way. We wouldn't have had any of the same benefits out of it. We were able to really take the reins because of an income tax. And then when we had all this resource money, all of a sudden, um, you know, people like Jay Hammond, um, George Rogers was an economist for the state at the time. And they, you know, they didn't really want to get rid of the income tax, but just it, it was unpopular at that time because we had so much money. People didn't want to also be paying taxes. Um, but if we'd kept it on the books, uh, if we'd kept it on the books, it would have been a lot better for us. If we'd paid out a you know, permanent fund dividend and then clawed that back through an income tax, that was kind of what Hammond wanted to do. Uh, and both Hammond and Rogers talk about how they regret uh, eliminating the income tax and not just turning, you know, changing the number to a zero. Yeah, I always I, I always I like the idea of an income tax just because I think it does a better job at linking the economy to the state uh, government a little bit better. You know, yeah. you look at, especially when, especially when we're talking about like diversifying the economy, like if you look at the state, like there's no almost like if they could bring Google in for, for example, uh, and, and mm-hmm. without giving them massive tax breaks, like every other state is doing, but if they could do that, like, you know, there's no benefit to the state in, you know, there's better, there's better jobs, I guess, but there's, there's no benefit in the sense that like all of a sudden you're gonna have all these more people going to school and a higher demand on roads and a higher demand on all these other things. But there's no way to link that growth to the services that it would require. And I, so I, I've always really liked that kind of argument for an income tax. Yeah, I agree. Like if we, you know, any kind of growth that happens in Alaska is detrimental to us as a state because our services should get just get spread more thin. Yeah. And speaking about talk, spreading services thin, my favorite slide from your video uh, was was the slide overlaying Alaska over the United States. And like, that's a, a picture that we've all seen plenty of times, right? Like Southeast Alaska is down in Florida the North Slopes all the way up in Minneapolis, um, and and the Aleutian chain reaches all the way out to L.A. Like, get it. But, like, I, if you sort of – what I liked about it is you, you sort of – something you said really sparked the idea that, like, what if you were trying to sell stuff, you know, across all those distances, and you kind of had the exact same challenges. Like, say, if you wanted to do education between, like, Minneapolis and Jacksonville, Florida, and L.A., but you didn't have a road yeah. to get to any of them. And there's only 700,000 people, 740,000 people spread out across all that. Like just the logistics of that, like are, are really like that. Yeah. Like, do you, it's, is it surprising that it's more expensive at that level? But like, so that's what I, 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 I really like that because especially right now we're having all these conversations about how uh, Alaska is not nearly as efficient as the lower 48. And I think like, that's kind of the point in some in some ways like there, there's yeah we still have a rural system that that is people want to live there it would take such a high level of development to get us to this 
to the point where we are as efficient as the contiguous states. Uh, you know, and that's, you know, it may be at some day in the future there we're that shape, but to expect that kind of competitiveness right now is ridiculous. And, but, and, and to, and to assume that that kind of competitiveness would come by, from private sector, what, building a railway? Yeah, we talk about economies of scale, and that's something the government can do. Like, I can't just go and pay for education. You need a, you need enough people pooling their money together and I prefer the the state as being kind of the central focal point for that. Uh, and then you use that communal wealth to, to buy something big like a like a school or or a bridge or a road or whatever. And right. so you, you can't really expect people to pay for that kind of stuff with their PFD. It just doesn't work. Right. So, yeah, it's really worth checking out. It's really great. Yeah, especially I think. I don't know. There's a little bit of whimsy in it. It's kind of classic sort of Pat race whimsy. And I think that's something that's really kind of needed right now. What I tried to do is distill as much as I could just boil down what's what our fiscal situation is into kind of some essential graphs, essential data points and essential arguments and just make it something that the average Alaskan can watch, can spend three minutes, take three minutes out of their day and watch it and be it be in a much better spot to understand and to participate in the discussions because i think right now everyone's head is turning towards this discussion whether they want want it to or not it's going to affect them and so they they have to be versed in what it is they're talking about and this is just a really quick way to get people up to speed right and one of the things i i spent a lot of time doing while i was making this was listening to a bunch of like senate finance presentations and if you've listened i know you've listened to a lot of senate finance presentations the i have one that, currently playing in my window on my laptop actually that's in the background of this that's yeah <laughs> the thing i love about senate finance is that senator Britt stedman uh the chair really plays to the audience like he he's almost acting while he's doing business, he is acting as a teacher and an educator, and he's constantly saying, uh, okay, for the people at home, let's explain what that acronym is, or let's explain what that concept is. And it slows the meanings down a little bit, but it also makes them so much easier to absorb, and I really appreciate it. I don't know what it's like for you as a journalist, like if you feel like it's a little too elementary or, or what, but for me, it's been great. No, I think as a, as a journalist, I, I really appreciate it, too. I mean, I think oftentimes we're looking for people that can, you know, distill these things into what our readers can understand. So, um, you know, even if we can sit down and look through a budget, like it's our job to explain this. And so to be able to have quotes and to have a guy like Bert Sedman who can kind of um, translate it all is always, yeah, super useful. I have always really appreciated legislators who can do that. Um, let's, uh, let's listen to some of that. Uh, there was a meeting on Tuesday, uh, last week that was really good. And it was, um, David Teal from ledge finance, uh, came and presented to Senate finance. And it was, it was, um, it was really good to hear his perspective. And I was going to ask you to actually explain what ledge finance is, but I think that, uh, I think they actually did a really good job in the meeting. So I'll just play that clip to get us started. For those at home, legislative finance is, a nonpartisan arm of the legislature that helps us analyze and work with uh, budgets. And if I could have uh, Mr. Teal come forward, please introduce himself for the record um, and take us to his presentation. But maybe before he starts his presentation, he could take a brief moment and mention to the public uh, the size of his staff and what they uh, kind of do. So it will put this more in context. 
Mr. Teal. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm David Teal, Director of the Legislative Finance Division. I have a staff of about six analysts and some IT people that give us the support we need to run our budget system that produces the budget bills for the full legislature, or part of the bills anyway. We are nonpartisan. We provide assistance primarily to the finance committees, but we're available to the full legislature for any questions regarding fiscal matters of any kind, whether it's past capital projects or help with preparing current amendments to appropriation bills, just whatever assistance we can provide in the budget process. So is there anything you want to add about ledge finance to contextualize them? They're really cool nerds. Okay. He says they're nonpartisan. How nonpartisan are they? Are they pretty down the middle? They take that job very seriously. I think the only people out there that are more strict about appearing and acting and being nonpartisan are election officials, I'd say. I mean, I think the big thing is that these guys can be hired and fired by the legislature. And so the fact that they've sort of stuck around throughout that time is kind of a testament to just how well trusted they are by the legislature. I've been doing that in my position for about 20 years now, and I have to say that I've never seen a budget rollout quite like this one. The OMB website contains a video and a statement that accompanied the release of the budget. And the governor set out five guiding principles that drove his budget preparation. The first is that expenditures cannot exceed revenues. It's certainly true in the long run. I think we all know that. We've been using reserves, and you can't continue to do that. Do expenditures exceed revenue because expenditures are too high or because revenue is too low, historically low? And I'll let you be the judge of that. Well, I think that little bit there is actually kind of interesting. He says, you know, I'll let you be the judge of that. But he asks the question of revenues are too low or expenditures are too high. Well, and if you look at the presentation that he's showing, it's bars of the state expenditures matched against with behind it that kind of roller coaster of oil revenue. And so if you kind of are looking at that, those two things kind of track pretty evenly throughout the time. And then when he's saying, I'll let you be the judge of that, you look at it and the revenue, it's the one place where the revenue just plummets. It plummets basically to zero effectively. And there is that big gap there. So I think he's sort of letting the numbers speak for themselves, which I think is what his job is. He's sort of, you know, the numbers are the numbers and they kind of say what they need to almost. He doesn't need to say that. And I think, so that's kind of where you kind of get into even though he's this nonpartisan guy, he kind of makes sort of sort of some value statements here or there, and that's kind of one of them. And I think the numbers do sort of speak for themselves, and they do show that we probably have a revenue problem much more than we do have a spending problem right now. The OMB director said that the answer is obvious, that expenditures must be too high because they exceed revenue. Well, you can turn that around just as well and say that revenues are too low because they're less than expenditures. I don't think you can answer the question until you review the entire budget 
determine how much you want to spend, where you want to spend it, and then you can compare expenditures and revenue and decide how you want to address the deficit if there is one. Um, it seems apparent that many of you share my disappointment in the lack of evaluation and analysis to support the governor's proposals. I think budget shouldn't simply be a, a math problem, that budgeting and policy are inseparable, and that you cannot make good policy decisions or good budget decisions without full information. All cuts are not equal, uh, yet the common answer to your questions about why are you cutting this particular item have been, we have a deficit, or it's just a proposal. So going on to number three, maintaining and protecting our reserves is the goal you probably all share. But the budget pulls $436 million from the statutory budget reserve fund and from ADA reserves. The 19 budget is expected to pull less than $300 million from reserves. The one prin fourth principle is that the budget will not take additional funds from Alaskans through taxes or PFD. Yet it does not rely on existing state revenue to balance the budget. It pushes costs onto municipalities. It shifts revenue from municipalities. And some, if not all of those costs and revenues, are going to be passed on to citizens. So it's not direct, but it, it's, it's likely consequence. And fifth principle, it must be sustainable, predictable, and affordable. But if expenditures equal revenues, and you're going to set that as a guiding principle, and revenue is volatile, as we know it is, how will the budget be any more predictable than oil prices themselves? Are we going to um, cut expenditures every time revenue falls? Are we going to increase the budget if every time revenue goes up? How are you going to respond to a $50 oil situation, come back in special session. Um, I don't see how simply setting expenditures equal to revenue makes things more predictable. So I think this is maybe where we could cut off a little bit. We can just summarize it. Well, I'm not sure where it is in here, but I'll, I'll dig it out. But he talks about how there's just like not enough manpower in the governor's office or in the legislature to deal with this level of complexity that they've introduced this year. And I thought that was a, um, you know, from someone who's been around for 20 years, that's an interesting take on things. Uh, do you feel like the level of complexity is, is too high or that there's just no way we can get this done this year? Or is it just going to, the session's just going to be infinite or what, what do you see happening? I mean, that's, that is, we are, we're already past, you know, we're, we're past the halfway mark already. You know, usually the legislature, the House is usually passing the operating budget, I think, in the next two weeks, usually, is kind of their, their rough schedule. And that's not yeah. going to happen right now. And I don't, I don't see I don't see how they get, there's no way they get done in 90 days. I think you already have legislators talking about that. And I don't know how they get done in 121 days. I mean, these are huge questions. If you had a session, if you, years ago, if you had asked me, hey, uh, we're going to look at privatizing the Alaska Marine Highway System, 
I think that would be a whole session fight right there. Um, a discussion, you know, we have we have research and analysis and all this sort of stuff, and um, it's not it's not there. There's no time for it. And so, kind of, you look at some of this stuff, and I just I don't see how it actually all comes together. I think that's kind of the big unknown right now. Is you know, you look at some of the cuts to um, healthcare, for example, and Medicaid. You know, that it requires them to get waivers from the federal government. Um, the last one they got took them almost two years to get. Um, I think they were able to implement some of the sort of uh, pilot program a little bit earlier than that. But um, so we're talking about major kind of changes to to, to this sort of stuff, and and it, the the time frame for it is unrealistic. So um, I don't know. I kind of don't know what they're doing in in some regard. I think like you can't have all this done before on July one, and so. Um, you know, you look at some of these things where, uh, you know, healthcare, for example, you know, it's going to take uh, legislation to change or, or the, the municipal tax, um, oil and gas tax that they want to repeal at $440 million. That takes the bill there. And, and they've already said, the legislature's already said that they really don't, they're not interested in that. So that pokes a $440 million hole back into the budget right there alone. And so I I don't know what's going to happen, you know, I, and I think it's, you know, looking at any one of these changes is a whole session look. And I think um, they're trying to get a lot done. And so with the backdrop of the governor having a line item veto power, you know, he could still come in and, and veto a lot of the money, even if it's and kind of go un, unfunded for some of these things. And so what that means yeah. for Alaska, I think, could could potentially be really scary. On the Marine Highway front, it was really interesting. They uh, they hire they're going to hire a, con- a marine consultant to come in and talk about you know or, or do a study on how they can transition. Yeah, they're going to. Into, yeah. But but how does the the question that was asked in the committee meeting is how can you possibly come up with a with a answer that is anything but privatizing the system when it's completely defunded? Like I mean, the conclusion is baked into the fund in into the budget. Right. So they're not hiring someone to figure out what's the best thing for the ferry system or for the people of Alaska. They're hiring someone to justify their their policy decision. I mean, yeah, that's what we're going to get this week is um, uh, we're looking we're going to get our economic presentations from Ed King, the Office of Management and Budgets uh, economist. Um, This is you know, the state has basically argued that by having a stable budget that, you know, uh, a stable and predictable budget um, that the uh, private sector gains will somehow uh, far outpace any of the losses you have from cuts to government. And so, but you know, through the process, it, it was clear that this analysis hadn't been done before. And that's really interesting because, you know, Dunleavy was asked some of those questions when he made his little round of media appearances and he is, he's basically was incredulous about it and just said, well, I'm, of course, the, it'll be better. Like, ask any economist. And it, and they're like, well, did you do the research, though? I mean, is this based on something? And he's like, well, it's, it, it, he, he seemed to be implying that it was intuitively obvious, which, yeah. and that's what which I think, is a strange like, approach. I think a lot of people want to give the administration, like, the benefit of the doubt with this stuff. But I think, I mean, we have – Don Arduin is a person who, you know, is, is like – um, you know, direct descendant of like the trickle down economic theory, you know, and and has been working and kind of going around the country with like her carpet bag, like trying to 
implement this wherever she can. And it really hasn't worked all that well. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, you kind of look at this we're stuff. another experiment. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, one of the other things that you saw in a lot of the, the Dunleavy's interviews was um, this reference to this report about how New York is just, New York and California have these mass exodus of people because they're just, because of the taxes. The taxes are too high. It's, a, it's proven that, you know, government spending doesn't work. And I think it's this weird fixation on, on this kind of like us versus them, like coastal liberal elites are bad and we got to make sure they know they're bad. And we have to make like, and like, what does it have to do with Alaska? First of all, like since when do we kind of make our policy based on what they do in New York? Like, I, I don't think that's a very Alaska way of looking at it. And, and I think it's a very political way of looking at it. It's a very like national Republican way of looking at it. And I think that's kind of where, um, where I think, a lot of people who are trying to give this sort of whole process the benefit of the doubt are really kind of stepping into some real perilous territory. I think these people aren't really that serious about it. I mean, I think if, if they were, I mean, it, there is a world where conservative governance and conservative budgeting does work and where it, it you know, is functional and where, um, you know, they come in and, and they do things like have justification for eliminating um, senior benefits or, or making, making the cost of pioneer homes extremely high. Um, but we don't have any of that. And it, the lack of that and, and, and instead the justification being, well, it obviously will work. It, it's just, oh, it, it, this is like the, this is the, the worst form of, this is like tailor made to make me frustrated as a reporter, as somebody <laughs> who cares about my community. And, you know, that's the thing I think people, uh, forget about reporters sometimes is that like ultimately we we live in the community too we really care about it and and um we would like to see it, it get better and i think there's some stuff in here that i think um makes me question just how uh honest this sort of discussion is right now looking at the lack of justification i i began to wonder whether the budget was designed in in some way to, to create chaos so that the legislature may say, well, there's just so much going on here. We've got 16 pieces of legislation and um, that we haven't even seen yet. In, in response to the earlier question, I should have probably mentioned that, no, we don't have that analysis done on which bills affect budgets by how much because we haven't even seen the bills yet. We haven't had a chance to look at fiscal notes. We know that some things can be done through the appropriation process that some things can't. So there are all kinds of bills to review uh, that, that we're not ready with. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just if you have enough in front of you Maybe there's some hope on the governor's part that, that you'll just throw up your hands and say, we don't have time to evaluate this. We'll just go along with what the governor proposes because we don't have much of a way to come up with alternatives. We don't have the time. Okay, so we'll kind of put to bed this um, Senate finance meeting, but I, I, I think if, you know, if, if, if anyone wants to learn more about how the state 
government works. One of the best podcasts you can listen to is just the raw Senate finance meetings. There's a lot of great question and answer. There's a lot of subtlety, but there's also a lot of good overt explanations of how the state works. It's been really great for me uh, to listen to. And um, and it's not as wound up as it, it's when you read an article in the paper, people pull these quotes out and it sounds like it sounds like David Teal standing on a table yelling, this budget is 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 here to create chaos. But he's he's just calmly unpacking this careful viewpoint that he has. And I, I really appreciate how professional it all is. So I don't know. There's a, it's it's a good stuff. Um, I I'd actually on that note, what other. I think there's a lot of other good podcasts out out there right now, um, not just dealing with like the state fiscal stuff, but just politics in Alaska in general. I, I, w- I would want to give a shout out to uh, the work that they're doing at the Alaska Energy Desk. Yeah, that's the one I was th- that comes to mind immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Paying Dividends is a podcast out there that's um, really digging deep into the financial situation. Um, they, and they've also done uh, Midnight Oil, which is really solid. And then there's uh, Alaska Landmine. He's been interviewing a lot of – Jeff's been interviewing a lot of legislators you know, in one-on-one interviews, and some of those have been very good. Uh, there's uh, the AK Ledger. They uh, they do a lot of deep dive, especially in the area of, like, education. And they write just voluminous articles that go on and on and on and <laughs> – Sometimes I think the podcast might be a little easier for people to absorb. I mean, the big one right now, obviously, is the Diderod Pod, uh, Didapod, uh, also by the uh, Alaska Public Media. Um, yeah, talking good, about good, good break the, from politics. <laughs> the talking about the Iditarod, obviously. Um, so th- there's other other good Alaskana sort of stuff out there, too. It's not just all yeah. politics and budgets. Yeah. All right. Well, I think right. that was a good good episode. I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, end it on a on a word from David Teal here. Sounds good. I'll talk to you later. All right. Goodbye, Alaska. Goodbye. Admittedly, I did not foresee a forty one percent cut to the university budget. I did not foresee. Um, an end to the marine highway system as those in coastal Alaska know it. 